We are in Genesis, and we're going to finish up Genesis chapter 3 today and move it into Genesis chapter 4. Yikes. Okay, so, um, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start reading from, from verse, verse, uh, We're going, to, we're going to start reading from verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and you will <clears throat> eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So it's an interesting passage, because he says that, that he curses the ground, and then he says you're going to eat the plants of the field. Before that, they were going to eat fruit from the trees. Now he's also going to eat the plant of the fields. And he's going to have to till this and work it. And it says, actually, the, the, the translated word here is that, that in sorrow, in toil, that word is translated in many translations, in sorrow you shall eat of it. So last time we talked about sorrow and depression, the great men of God who suffered from depression. So that's all up on my website. So each week after the message, so like on Monday, of the, so the, I'll, I'll put the messages up on my website. You'll see it under the, the, the Genesis section there. But what I want to see is that he has just the woman has gotten the, the, the things around her multiplied in, in pain and in sorrow. And now the man. And after they had both been really devastated their lives because of the decision of independence. Look at the next verse, what it says in verse 20. Now the man called his wife, his wife's name Eve, because she was mother of all the living. That's really an interesting verse. After you just get God proclaiming of all the devastating things that are going to happen to you, he calls his wife, he says, I'm going to call you Eve, which means life. I'm going to call you life. Because you're the mother of all the living. Before, when he had first met her, earlier on in the end of Genesis chapter 2, he said, he said that you shall be called woman because you were taken out of man. The Hebrew word there is ish, man. You are going to be called ishha, woman. So the same derivative where you take man and you add a part to it, you get woman in Hebrew. This is the one of the very few cases where it aligns perfectly with the English where you have man, woman. He gave her a derivative of who he was himself. But now he gives her her own name and he calls her life. Because in this, he sees the hope. There is hope all of a sudden for them. Because God had said to her, the curse that was upon her was in verse 16 to the woman who said, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Actually, the direct translation is multiplying, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Meaning that you're going to have a lot of children now. Before they were going to live much longer than they ended up living. The, the human life is going to end up cramming down and we see that entropic decay that's going to occur very quickly. 
throughout the generations to where we are now on the flat part of this, this decay in life so that the life expectancy hasn't changed for thousands of years. Because you can see Moses wrote in Psalm 90 that, that we live 70 years if due to strength 80 years. That's right about where we are now. And so Moses wrote 1400 B.C. So we're in this flat part of the, that decay curve. And so you see that he says, I'm going to give you lots of children and you're going to have sorrow with it. We talked about this last time. I've never met a mother that didn't have sorrow in raising her children. Sure, there's lots of joy, but there are pains that are involved in this. Lots of pains in the decisions, which particularly bring sorrow to mothers. And so for young mothers, I'm sorry to surprise you, but uh, uh, maybe you'll be the first that will have no sorrow. But this is what, what the scriptures say, and in, he sees the hope of this because he had said to the serpent, he said, this seed of the woman is going to crush your head. So all of a sudden he sees hope for redemption for their fall in the woman. In the woman, in her seed, is this hope. There's this hope for redemption in her seed. And then he goes on and he says in verse 21, it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Remember, Adam and his wife Eve had had taken fig leaves and they sewed them together and covered their loins. God made them clothing of skins. It was as if that was the first sacrifice where animals were sacrificed. He made them clothing of skins and he took care of them in that way. It says, it says that the Lord God made garments of skin. Why would the Lord God make it? Why, why couldn't he just speak it? Clothing, form, boom. I mean, he spoke the earth into existence. Why did he have to actually make it? Everything else, I mean, he could just speak it into existence. You see, God now is participating in the lives of people. Even though this devastation is brought upon them, he's participating with them. Think about it. If you have a grandmother that has made you something, say the grandmother has made you a quilt, that means something. She sat there and she made this thing for you. And you treasure this because it was made for you. It wasn't just bought in a store or spoken into existence. When you have somebody make something for you, it shows you, this person really loves me. It was made for me. It was made for my size. My grandmother never made me something to wear, but I am sure that if she did, I would really treasure that. Maybe at the moment I wouldn't have treasured it, but now I would say, well, my grandmother made this for me. You see God's participation, and it says and clothed them. God clothed them. In other words, he didn't just say, see those? Put those on. He didn't do that. He clothed them. You see how interested God is in the human life. Even after the fall, even though they went in disobedience, God clothed them. He made it for them, and He clothed them. Now, it was still rough. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, kingly gowns. It was just simple clothing. And that's what the Word of God says. It says, Men of whom the world was not worthy gathered in caves and hills and holes in the ground. They wore goatskins and sheepskins. God speaks in, in Hebrews chapter 11 about the men of faith. 
that this is how they lived. They lived simply. He didn't put them in, in real kingly clothing. He put them in simple clothing. And there's something that's profound and good in this. There's nothing wrong with being rich. The Bible, in fact, you know, some people say, you know, you know, Jesus had said to the rich young ruler, give away everything you have and come and follow me. That was specifically to the rich young ruler. He didn't say that to everybody. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he gives the instruction to the rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6 or the, is the, this part of the, the epistles that give us church instruction. He says, tell the rich not to rely upon their riches, but to be generous. He never tells the rich to give away everything. I don't want the rich to give away everything. I want them to stay rich and keep making money so that they can keep on giving. This is what he told the church to do. This is what he told the... the, And you say, well, the early church, they gave away everything. Yeah, they did. And God never instructed them to do that in the book of Acts. You know what happened to the Jerusalem church? They gave away everything. They became impoverished. And after a few years, they had nothing And the Gentile churches, Paul was taking up offerings to support the Jerusalem church. It didn't work. It didn't work. Where everybody just gave everything and the church distributed it as according to the have need. God never told them to do that and it didn't work. This thing of just give it to the leadership and let them redistribute it didn't work. The instruction was in 1 Timothy chapter 6, let the rich, rich keep giving. Let them do that. Not easy to be rich. I know rich people. It's not easy to be rich because people keep coming at them for donations. For, I'm talking about really rich people. And, it, and it's hard because people are coming all the time. And they're looking at you like you're just a big money bag. And if you didn't have it, they'd never come to see you. And you know it. It's hard for rich people because they're always trying to figure out how much should they give? Are they going to destroy these folks by giving? You give people too much, you destroy them. You destroy organizations that way. Anyway, it says... Then in verse 22, then God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out at the east of the garden of Eden and he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So, you see that, that he says these people have become like us. They understand good and evil. You say, well, why, why should God mind them understanding good and evil? Because there's a lot of evil that they can't handle. God can handle it. People can't handle it. Remember, there's lots of evil that I've never been exposed to. You know, I've never seen my children killed in front of me. I've never seen them dismembered in front of me. There are people in the world who have seen it. Are they better off than me? Because they have more knowledge of that than I do? No, you'd confess that that brings on PTSD. Nobody wants to have to see that. There's many things that I want no knowledge of. That knowledge of it hurts us, disrupts us. To know what God knows can be destructive. Because we can't handle it. So he sends them out of the garden because he says it is not good for them to just be able to take their food like this. To just pick it off the tree. They're going to have to work. You've got to take people now that understand these things and know all of these things and you've got to put them to work. If you take, remember what we said last week, you take young men, your age, 
If you get bored and have nothing to do in life, you become terrorists. You do evil. This just happens. I mean, idle hands and young men commit crimes. So you give them lots of work. You, you, you know, you, you have them take organic chemistry. They're so busy, they, they can't think about doing evil. And so you keep them busy with this. This is what he's talking about. Put them out there. And the man probably looks outside this garden. He's like, I don't want to go there. And so it says, it says, therefore God sent him out in verse 20, 23. Then in verse 24, so he drove the man out. The man didn't want to go. He said, go. The man's like, oh, I'm not going out there. And so he drove him out. God puts us in positions sometimes that we feel are difficult. But it's the best thing for us. He said, God, why, why does this have to be in my life? Why do I have this sickness? Nobody else has to suffer with this sickness. And I've got this sickness. Because it's best for you. I know what's best for you. God does this. Why do I feel this pain that nobody else feels? Because it's good for you. And that's why Paul, after he cried out that God would deliver him from this, he says, he says this, this is going to perfect what I have for you. This is going to perfect what I have for you in this pain. So let's look now in Genesis, Genesis chapter chapter 4, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So this is the last we're going to see of Adam. This is it. This is the last we're going to see of Adam. Now the man had relations with his wife. Remember what it said upon his wife? It says, multiplying I will multiply, is the precise translation of the curse that came upon the woman because of her taking of the fruit. Multiplying, I will multiply your conceptions and your sorrow in childbearing. The English translations do a little bit of different things with it, but that's what I've given you is the direct translation. Multiplying, I will multiply. Remember, if you multiply and multiply again, that gets to be a big number. I will, I will multiply your conception. So she's having a lot of children, a lot of them. And in fact, you see that actually in Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, it says, and, 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 uh, and he had many other sons and daughters. So they had many other sons. You're just giving us the example of a couple of them. They had many sons and daughters. In fact, some rabbis by the text in verse 4, in, in chapter 4, where it talks about Cain by the text, they suggest that he had several, that Cain had several twin sisters. That's what the rabbis get out, out of the text. We don't know that for sure. But we do know from chapter 5 that they were having many children. God said she would. And, and, uh, um, and it says, it says that, that um, she conceived, she, she gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. That's the English translation. The exact translation is this. I have gotten a man, Jehovah. That's the exact translation. I have gotten a man, Jehovah. Well, who's Jehovah? Remember, that is the personal name of God. In the book of Genesis, Starting in chapter 2, it refers to God as, as 
Lord God, Lord with little caps often in our English Bible, that is Jehovah, Yahweh, His personal name, God, His grand name. Here it says, I have gotten a child with the help, I have gotten a man, Jehovah. Her theology was right. Through her would come someone who's God. She thought it was going to come in her generation. She thought this son of hers was going to be the deliverer. This is just like us. Every time we blow something really bad, we're like, uh, I hope this gets fixed by like tomorrow. You know the feeling that we have in this. And so she looks at this here. A man has been born to her. I have had a man, Jehovah. She even proclaims this. I've had a man, Jehovah. Here it says, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. You look at the exact translation, and even in the Young's literal, he inserts the word, the Lord. It is not the, there's no definite article there. It is the Lord, small caps, it is Jehovah. And it's not man-child, I've gotten a man, Jehovah. So her theology was right, her timing was wrong. Very often we have the right theology, we know what's going to happen in the end, Jesus is coming back, but our timing is all wrong. In other words, I can tell you in the Christian community, during the first Gulf War, when many of you were quite young, if you were born at all, during the first Gulf, lots of Christians were saying, this is it, this is the end. All the armies of earth are gathering in the Middle East, all around Israel, this is the end. And you could hear it on TV all the time. This is the end. Well, the theology was right, the timing was wrong. You know, if, if we think we've got the timing on something, we're probably going to be wrong. All right? Her timing was wrong. Well, then they probably saw Cain grow up and they realized this is not the Jehovah who is going to come. Because then she gives birth to his brother, Abel. Now, remember, she was probably giving birth to many and, and, and having multiple children at, at, with every one of these births. But here she gave birth to Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel kept flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. So he learned from his father. Remember his father, Adam, was sent out to now work the earth. He learned how to work the earth. And now they start keeping flocks. You wonder where they got this instruction, because very often we get instruction from other people. That's where we learn this. That's why if you're isolated on some island, you don't progress very well. You've got to be able to have people around you. You've got to be able to you know, read the chemical literature if you want to stay abreast of, of what's happening. You can't do this stuff in a vacuum and compete well. You've got to be around lots of other people because there's, there's so many other brain cells besides our own that we've got to be exposed to in order to advance. So God must have been instructing them. Instructing them. And it says, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the first things of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. All right, so this is Adam and Eve's son. 
You couldn't have a more perfect marriage that God put together. You know, so, so something that enters the heart of young couples sometimes when they get married is, uh, did I marry the right person? This enters the heart of some people, the mind of some people. And this is why when, when I was, when, when I started liking Shireen, I was bouncing these ideas off of many people around me that I respected. I talked to the pastor of the church. I talked to the, the assistant pastor people and I told them what was going on in my heart because I didn't want to get this thing wrong. Because what happens is when you're involved in the midst of this yourself, you got, you got these, the, you, you have hormones speaking to you, which are both peptides and other small molecules. And they speak. They speak to your mind and it's like, this is the girl for you. <laughs> you hear these voices. And you need somebody who's not affected by the hormones to stand back and say, I don't think so. <laughs> There's no way. He said, but she's so pretty. He says, yeah, but there's nothing else there. You need somebody. So I needed people to speak into my life. And, I, and, and uh, um, so that by the time I got married, there was no doubt in my mind. We had prayed for a year with other people around us and checking on these things before we ever got engaged. We, we prayed for a year before we ever got engaged. Because we wanted to get this thing right. With Adam and Eve, it was right. God and their firstborn child ends up a murderer, fratricide, killing his brother. So you have the first... That, that's got to be the worst thing. If your child becomes a murderer... And I, I knew a woman in the church, not this church, another church, that her child ended up murdering somebody. And it, fine home. And the kid was out with the wrong people one night and they convinced him to do something and he... Went to rob somebody at a gas station and the gun went off and, and, and uh, um, you know, in, in prison the rest of his life. I mean, devastated that woman. Devastated her. But if the one child murders another of your own children, I mean, this is what happened to them. So you have this God-ordained marriage and this is ending up in total chaos. And it shows you where life can take you when you live independently, when you make decisions to go off alone, alone, and you think, oh, this would never happen to my kids. I'm telling you, I have seen great families and children go in very strange directions sometimes. Even with some of the best upbringings, and I can't explain it, other than there's independent lives. And this is why we have to surround our children with the ways of God, teaching them the ways of God. You want to just entrust them, oh, they'll be fine in the world, they'll be fine. Oh yeah? There's a lot of people out there looking to make sure their lives get into trouble. And so, this is what happened to their own children. So Cain brings an offering, it says, it says, over some time, it says, in the course of time, the actual, if you, if you read, it, it says, at, at the end of the season, he brought an offering. You say, and, and he brought some of the things. Remember, he's a farmer, so he brought, he brought uh, uh, some of the grains there as an offering, some of the fruit of the ground. Now, he didn't bring a blood offering, so it may be that, that Abel brought a blood offering, but also among the Israelites, when it was prescribed on what to bring, a grain offering or fruit offering was never brought without first having a blood offering. Then the grain offering came. 
God had demonstrated what may have been a blood offering in the, in the making of the garments, but in any case, they must have been instructed in this. Must have been instructed because you see that he's, he's, he's right there expecting this of them and he offers it up. We're going to talk more about this next time, but what I want to point out something is, is right here what God says. So Cain brings this offering. God doesn't receive it. And we're going to look more next time at why he didn't receive it. But it says, it says, uh, um, but for Cain and for his offering, God, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Clock's ticking. No answer. God asks him a question. Why are you angry? He doesn't answer. He says, why has your countenance fallen? In other words, if you think I I can't see your anger, what about your countenance? I mean, look at you. Why has your countenance fallen? Clock's ticking. No answer. No answer. God is trying to draw him by asking him questions. Just as he did to Adam and Eve when they fell, he said to the man, he said to the man, he he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So he blamed it on his wife, but at the end of the sentence, he confessed, I ate. Same thing for the woman. She blamed it on the serpent, but then she said, I ate. He brought them to the point of confession. Once they confessed, he stopped. He's trying to bring Cain to see the realization and to to act upon something that was here. And he's not acting. God, in His grace, appeals to us. He appeals to us. He confronts us with our sin, and He appeals to us. I remember when the Gospel was first shared with me, I was a freshman in college, same place that many of you are right now, and it was August of my freshman year. First week, like the end of my first week, and I know that because I was doing my first load of laundry. Maybe it was two weeks or something. But it was still August of my freshman year. And a young man shared the gospel with me. And he had me read a verse that says, out of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not a sinner. Looked at me very odd. But in modern secular Judaism, we, we don't talk about sin. And you go once a year to the synagogue in Yom Kippur, the rabbi says a few things and you're okay. We didn't talk about sin. Then he had me read a verse from Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. That got me. That was the first realization that I had that I was a sinner. Because I was addicted to pornography at the age of 14. And here I was 18 and I thought nobody knew. And it was before the days of the internet. But I had a stack of magazines that I had. That I had acquired. And I was addicted to pornography. That was the first realization that I was a sinner. And God confronted me with my sin. And He confronts us with our sin. And if you think you're good to go, you're just fine, then you have a real problem. 
and God confronts you with your sin. And He waits for a response. Don't be like Cain and just stay silent. Don't be like Cain and think that God can't see it. And He draws you to a place of repentance. Even as He's trying to draw Cain. You see Him trying to draw Cain back. And Cain will not respond and he ends up becoming a murderer. You say, well, that wouldn't happen to me. How do you know? And if not murder, it will result in other worse things. Because he appeals to you. He appeals to us. And he stands in front of us and he says, what about this? And you can't just sit there and say, I'm good. It's okay. I'm all right. He says, I offer you the free gift of my son. I offer you the free gift of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you accept his life for yours? Will you accept his life? And the shame of it is that most people say, no, I don't want the gift. And I can't understand that. He offers you the free gift. You confess your sins to him and you invite that free gift into your life. We are going to pray now. And if you don't know the Lord, I ask you this day, as you are confronted with your sin, whatever it is, maybe it is pornography, maybe it's something else, I ask you to confess that to the Lord this day and at this very time to invite Jesus into your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of the word of God. And Lord, I pray for these young people that don't know you today, the ones here who have never confessed their sins to you that this very day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life. Forgive me because I'm a sinner. Forgive me and I receive that free gift of Jesus Christ. Father, for those here who know you, Lord, I pray that they would look at this and see how they have to keep an open heart to you lest they try to hide things from the Lord. Father, I pray that they would see you as good, as one who wants to clothe them with robes of righteousness, as the scriptures say, who wants to place the clothes upon them, who has provided the very way for them, who has made these clothes for them through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that they would see you as a God of love, as a God of mercy and grace. Your grace be poured out upon their lives, I pray. Father, I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.